This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors and our many, many affiliate members. Um, and we just want to provide you with good local information so that you make really good real estate decisions. Um, next time we have a real estate downturn, we don't want to see Fresno in the top 10 for foreclosures. We're not going to even make the top 100 because I really hope our valley becomes very well educated and makes some good moves. And that's what Welcome Home Radio is all about. So to help you with that today, actually I'm going to say to help me with that today, <laughs> I have two guests here. First we have Susan Britter of First American Home Warranty. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, you're a wealth of information, so th- this is going to be a really good show. And then we also have Dave Kidder of Keller Williams Westland Realty. Good morning. Always a pleasure, Don. Thanks for having me. You, too, are a wealth of information. <clears throat> As I started doing that intro, it's kind of like I thought, maybe I'm saying she's going to be all the information and not you. But you, you too, will provide a lot here. I'm excited to be here with you, Susan. <clears throat> I really am. Okay. Likewise. <laughs> First of all, you know, this is the big buzz question going around uh, even at the break room at most of the offices. Um, when when you run into a lender, you run into a, a home inspector, the, the big question is, what's the market doing right now? How is it? So give me your takes on that. Can we start with you, Dave? You know, typically we always see a little slowdown during November, December, and I think we saw it again this year, and I think some sellers were getting a little nervous. Uh, right after the first of the year, though, activity has picked up. Interest rates really haven't uh, jumped the way I think we may have anticipated. There's always fear in the market. Honestly, I think we're going to still see some growth this year. Certain price points are having a little tougher time selling, but if you're a first-time home buyer, there's there's still good inventory, and it is growing a little bit. So my take is I think it's still a seller's market, and if you find the right house, you do need to move quickly. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Now, Susan, this is going to be an interesting take because probably the numbers that you see do not relate to, well, they relate to sales because you're getting home warranty orders. Right. Have you seen a uptick, a slowdown, or is it business as usual? Well, if you were, you were to put our numbers on a graph and your numbers on a graph as an industry here in the, in the Valley, it would be almost identical because, obviously, I work with realtors, and my business comes from realtors. So if you're selling, I'm selling. If yours drops, then usually mine drops. It kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, but I think the market's going to be great this year. I really do. I think that if we try to judge good or bad based upon a prior year, we might be setting ourselves up for disappointment when we could have an absolutely excellent market. I mean, the only thing I, I see that could potentially be different is maybe sellers just need to be a little bit more realistic about um, the value of their property. But other than that, I think buyers are still going to be out there buying left and right. They find the right property at the right price. Well okay. said. Yeah, interesting take. Okay, today uh, in the first part, we are going to be talking about the purchase contract and 
uh, how does it, or first of all, what it is, and, and how does it protect the buyer and the seller and the realtor and brokers? So, and also the home warranty companies. We're going to get to that part. So, first of all, um, these contracts that we use for the purchase agreement, where do they come from, Dave? <laughs> well, uh, when we both started, Don, it was one page. So I would say much of the the contract comes from things that have gone bad. Or when you started, I thought they were on the car, carved it on a cave <laughs> there wall. Was a, there was a cave. Yes, there was. <laughs> the uh, but each every line in the contract is there for a reason and. It is there to protect the consumer. Even my role, your role in the transaction in Susan's is to protect the consumer, both the buyer and the seller. So it can be misunderstood, and I think our job is not to, not to legally explain the contract, but to understand the timeline that is in the contract that once it's accepted, what's next, what's going to happen next. And if we all follow the what's next we will protect both the buyer and the seller okay and in a little bit we're going to get into those timelines so you can give those to us so um you mentioned that it protects the consumer and and that that is true but in protecting the consumer it protects everybody else too including the agents the brokers um the the seller the buyer True. Everybody's role is spelled out in the contract. The, the expectation of the buyer, the expectation of the seller, and the part that the broker plays, which is we're not principals to the contract, but we're active uh, participants. It may be a good analogy to make in sports terms uh, would be that you wouldn't go into a game without a game plan, and, and, I, and that's really what our contract is. It's a game plan for the next 30 to 45 days in escrow. It, um, even, and I'm going to use home warranty as an example here, the contract spells out what options are going to be on the home mm-hmm. warranty. Will right. there be air conditioning or will there be a well and septic right. option? Right. So um, it spells it all out so that we're all protected. Mm-hmm. Very important. Yeah. So, um, um, what, let, let's take page one of the contract. And we, uh, Dave and I talked about this earlier in the week. Sometimes when you go through the instructions of a contract, it could be pretty boring. But we're not going to do that. No, we're, we're, no, no, we're not. <laughs> which means we're not going to go into, into the weeds too much or too much detail. But... Um, because that's something that you consult with, and every transaction is different. And so it's great that this form is a flexible form. Let's start off with, you know, it. it, it first of all, it identifies um, who the parties are and what the property is. And that's important because sometimes when we even start out, we want to verify that the seller is the seller and the buyer is is who they represent and if they represent somebody else that we clearly define what that is and we can get into a trust or it could be a an LLC so we need to make sure that the people who are signing the contract are the ones who should be signing the contract. Mm-hmm. Okay and then it uh, it establishes an offer price. Yes it does. 
Now, what about buyers who have a little bit of a fear? Uh, maybe maybe the asking price is 300000 And they've been told, never pay list price. <laughs> you know, um, and they and they want to offer two fifty. Um, what what's your take on that? Or, or how how would you counsel somebody like that? It's funny you should pick the price three hundred thousand because it's probably the most. Uh, it's just slightly below the average sales price in our market right now, and yet it's the price point where a first time home buyer can still buy the home, an investor could buy that home for renting. A, somebody moving in out of the area would see that as a good first home before they decide exactly where they want to live. So that's kind of the target price. So to, to come in and think you're going to buy it quite a bit below market, I'm going to say right now there's probably four to 500 qualified buyers looking for that, a home yeah. that you just described right now. A lot of competition for it. Yeah. Okay. So how does days on the market play into into formulating an offer. So it's been on the market three days, and you want to offer 20% less. <laughs> As a realtor, I have to present that offer, and I have to be also upfront that I don't believe your chances are going to be very good at buying it at that because of... Well, let me back up. By three days, I have... I can... I can see how many showings I've had. I can see how many calls I've had on the home. I can go through the whole litany and say there's a lot of activity on this home. Or if, say, I get to day 10 and there's no activity, maybe the buyer might have a point. Now, our days on market have gone up. Mid, mid-summer, we were seeing that home selling in a very short period of time. I think it was like 14 days. Now, I think the average across the entire board at the time was about 32 days. Days on market have grown to probably in the low 40s, 42, 43. So homes are staying on the market a little bit longer. And what I have seen was homes during the summer were selling at 98 to 100% of list price. Maybe now it's 97. So it's dropped a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's not a run for the exit sort of thing. And then, of course, you run the risk if you if the buyer makes an offer too low that they demotivate and insult the seller, and so you don't get a decent counteroffer if you even get one. When when I'm counseling a, a buyer on what to offer, I say we want to make an offer that will cause the seller to want to accept it or at least counter. And if it comes in too low, you could just have a rejection across the board and no response at all. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the earnest money deposit. So... Uh, how much is typical? And I know it's all negotiable. But, of course, what, what would you recommend to me if I were a buyer? Boy, you know, when, when I make this recommendation, there's all kinds of responsibility that come along with it because I'm also coaching the buyers saying not only do we want to make our, our offer strong and the size of the earnest money does does strengthen our offer. At the same time, I need to assure him that if we, when we follow the contract, we're going to protect that earnest money form. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with suggesting if you want to make it look real good, let's come in with 3%. Or if it's an all-cash offer, come in even stronger, showing them I have the cash to close. All right. And, and when is that earnest money deposit due? Uh, within three days after the offer is accepted. Okay. 
Fair enough. Now, on the first page of the contract, it also specifies financing. Why does that matter? I mean, in most cases, it's going to be all cash to the seller anyway. It is, and yet the type of financing really has to be tied to the type of home it is. If the home is in very good shape and there's not a lot of repairs, then there is no type of financing that I would I would discourage looking at. And I think in the past there's been a discouragement on VAs, and yet closed the VA just this last uh, month that closed in under 30 days, and there were no hiccups. It closed very quickly. And the home was a, a good, clean one, I think. Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. So there were no issues. So there was no reason not to accept the VA. And I, I want to say that very loudly. There is no reason not to accept it. If somebody comes in with a cash offer, the seller may perceive that, that there's going to be less problems. But that's not always the case. Okay. Another question is on the first page, it specifies how much of a down payment you're going to be making. Why is that important to the consumers? Again, it, it dictates what type of financing, because the VA or an FHA, VA is no down payment, an FHA is little as 3.5%, and there are other conventional programs out there as low as 3%, and even there are some that have grants where the buyer can, you know, with little or no money out of their pocket, purchase the property. That's important to the buyer. As far as the seller is concerned, if it's a conventional loan, the larger the down payment, shows that the buyer is vested in the property and has funds to close. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good point. And with that, we are going to go to our first commercial break, so stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Helping us out today is Susan Britter of First American Home Warranty and Dave Kidder of Keller Williams Westland Realtor. We've been talking about the purchase contract that went from, just in the last few years, went from two pages to 11 pages plus addendum and addendum and addendum. Oh, yeah. um, but okay, we, in the first segment, we talked about the first page, which I call that the financial page. It's talking about how much of a down payment you're going to make, what the purchase price is, kind of the numerical terms. Now, let's get into some of the terms, which is on page two. Um, appraisal contingency. Um, I guess you can, make, according to this, you can make an offer where the your offer is contingent on the appraisal or not. And give us a little insight on that very integral part of real estate is what is the value of the property and all lenders will require a impartial third-party appraisal in fact we don't have any contact with the appraiser anymore Mm -hmm. and you could say the appraiser is actually protecting the the uh, the investment of the lender making sure that the lender is loaning money on a home that is worth the value that if the lender had to sell it the next day, they would be able to sell it at at that appraised price. Mm-hmm. So it's a very important part of it. All right. Here's a good one, and I, and I probably see this often or too often, and that is there's a box you can check here where it says that you have been, the buyer has been to a lender and 
attached is a pre-approval letter. So, and I think that's a, a great one to show that you have the ability, the buyer has the ability to close escrow. Now, and here's what I'm starting to see a little too often is you get a pre-approval letter from a local reputable lender. Next thing you know, that first week in escrow, um, the buyer changes lenders. Wow. <laughs> Pull the pin and hand me the hand grenade. So when <laughs> when I am working with a with a seller and I have multiple offers, I and each one has a pre-approval letter. By the way, there's no law that says you have to have a pre-approval letter with your offer, although our industry says I won't present without it. Legally, though, I still have to present those offers, and yet the seller has a choice. If this buyer is not approved and they don't have proof of it, why should I consider the offer? But it's always the seller's option to say yes or no, I'll move ahead. Having said that, every time I have an approval letter and I have multiple offers, I will actually call each and every lender. And it's I'm interviewing the lender, not so much trying to get information about the buyer, which they're not supposed to disclose anyway, but I am asking questions. Do you feel like we will have any issues with this transaction? Do you feel like that we're going to be able to close? Questions like that. And based on that, and I have the seller sitting in the room when I'm asking those questions, so it's actually the seller interviewing the lender. Based on that, the seller may decide to take an offer because of the lender. So when you switch lenders on the seller, although it's legal to do, the seller is now left with the with the issue of that's not who I approved. That's not who I accepted the offer because of that lender. I have a question. Pre-approval letter for the consumers listening out there. What does this exactly mean to them? How do they get one? And what does it mean to the other parties? It is it is it an ironclad guarantee that that buyer is going to be able to get that loan? Is there a possibility they won't? I mean, so if you're considering that as a seller... How important is it? And the second pin has been pulled on the second hand grenade. So <laughs> and this is the relationship thing. The pre-approval says that the lender has done uh, as thorough of a job as they can at that point because they don't have all the documents yet. They may not have the um, uh, employment records. They may not have all the tax records. They, they don't have everything yet, and yet based on a preliminary interview and a credit check and everything, everything looks good. They can verify that there are funds in the bank so that they know they have the funds to move ahead, and yet they don't have all of the information yet. But it's probably as good as you can get at this stage of the game until you actually get into the transaction. And I would like to take a crack at that one, too. Please. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. Yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, never. (laughs) And when you use the term ironclad, okay, there is no 100% guarantee in anything. Uh, especially with e- e- even with pre-approval letters. However, the more you know that lender, the more the, the closer you get to a hundred percent. So if I get a pre-approval letter from abcloans.com out of Pennsylvania, that might move me. Even even if I am able to interview the um, the the agent, the loan officer which becomes a little more difficult when they're in Pennsylvania. They may not want to return your calls or whatever, but you know, maybe that moves it into the 75 or 80 percentile area. 
when you have a local reputable lender that you know and, and they've got a great track record, I mean, that can move you into the 99 percentile. Uh, would you agree with that, Dave? I would say that I have, I think I'm at 100% of closures when, uh, I have yet to have a transaction fall apart because of the lender, that the lenders have all performed. And I, for the most part, I've stayed locally. I have some out-of-town lenders that have done a phenomenal job, and yet the ones that I work with locally, it's 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay, in our contract, we um, also have a loan contingency removal, which is to be, to be done in 21 days. How does that protect buyer and seller? Well, for one, it doesn't allow the home to be taken off the market for an indefinite period of time. At day 21, if everything else has gone in a timely manner, which is part of the responsibility of the contract is make sh- and, and the realtor to make sure things are moving in a according to the time frame, then by day 21, the lender should be able to say, we can't, we are, the buyer is cleared to close, we can prepare our documents and get this thing closed. So then they start submitting everything, but the loan is no longer an issue. Good, and, and, and here's where that's really an important part of the contract, because at what, taking this down to the street level, at what point do you call U-Haul and say, <clears throat> I need a truck? <clears throat> Excuse me. At what <clears throat> and at what point do you start packing boxes? That so um, you know you don't start packing boxes on the first day or on the last day, but the, after that 21 days, that might you sh- you should be able to, you should be good to go after 21. The loan approval's been uh, all the inspections have been cleared off, all the repairs have been done that that have been required or requested. The loan's been approved. It's going to close at that point. It's just now a matter of time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say t- day 22, start packing. Uh, unless a buyer does something untoward financially between that period of time and close of escrow and maybe goes out and buys something very expensive that alters their credit or something disastrous like that. Thank right? you for bringing that up. You know <laughs> Not how that it ever happens, of course. <laughs> I'm Do you want to know how many times that does happen? Yeah. So yeah. here's what happens. Buyer gets excited. Man, we're going to get this new home. Our loan's mm-hmm. been approved. Um, and they go out to, and they buy a new washer dryer, refrigerator, oh, yeah. open up a credit line. Oh, I'm buying all new furniture <sighs> for the living room and buying it on credit, yeah. And all of a sudden the lender says, whoa, this wasn't yeah. part of our original deal. You now don't qualify because you have this additional loan. That conversation is at on day one with the buyer. It's on day one with the lender also advising the buyer. Uh, so the, all those things, and that again, that's why I, the people that I work with, I know that they're coaching the, their client, the buyer, what to do and not to do. And and even after even after it closes, you should slow slowly roll into credit. All right. Well, thank you. And with that, we're going to go to our next. commercial break, so stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio we have Dave Kidder of Keller Williams, a realtor, and we have Susan Britter of First American Home Warranty, 
an affiliate member of our association, Correct. not a realtor. That's right. But, um, gosh, I've known you as long as anybody in the business. Long time. Yeah. Very long time. And um, great service that you perform. And a little. And in the following segment, we're really going to dive into home warranties. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to the contract, the, the third page now goes into closing costs, like who pays the escrow fee, the title fees, and uh, why is that important up front? Oh, it's a, it, it is all negotiable. The the everything on here is who's going to pay it the buyer or the seller. So sometimes I advise the buyer to make your offer stronger. Why don't you go ahead and pay for some of these, and it puts more money in the seller's pocket without raising the offer price. And we need to understand which when I tick a box here exactly what it's going to cost the buyer or the seller. So knowing those costs up front, I can advise the buyer, or if I'm looking at an offer, I can advise the seller. They if I feel like we're right at the limit of where it will appraise and I want to put more money in the seller's pocket, I may say, well, let's have the buyer pay for these for these costs. Mm-hmm. You know, on that page also, it talks about the items included or excluded in a sale. Now, this is where you can make or break an offer. Yes. Um, you know, in your excitement, you might a buyer might say, oh, well, let's throw in the washer, the dryer, the refrigerator, and... Uh, or and the seller going the other way, thinking, "Oh, I want to keep the drapes. I want to keep the the uh, chandelier that I got for Christmas." So, tell us about that. Well, I've had sellers who said, "I'll leave the I'll leave those things." I say, "You know what? Let's let's not offer that yet. Let's use that as negotiation. If the buyer wants this, then we'll say, well, uh, we want you to pay it, but we'll throw in the washer dryer.'" And maybe they were going to do that anyway. Again, I'm representing the seller at that point, so I want to make sure they have as many negotiation points as I, as I can give them. Question before you go further. What is a given legally without any negotiation that comes with the property? That's a really good question. That you don't bargain for. Every light fixture, the <laughs> drapery, what is considered... You're going to get it whether you ask for it or not, and the seller is not allowed to take it with them unless they negotiate otherwise. And this is on the test, by the way, the real estate test. It's If it's a fixture, if it's attached, and it is obviously attached and made a permanent fixture. That's why when I walk in and they have a beautiful chandelier in the in the entryway, I ask them, do you intend on keeping that? And if they say, yes, we want to keep that, I would advise them, well, then let's go ahead and take that down now and put something in in its place so that there is no confusion. And I have a nightmare story. It wasn't mine. I watched this happen. The buyer asked for the double-wide zero-point fridge that was in the kitchen. What they asked for was the fridge that's in the kitchen, and what was there when they moved in was a a single-wide frigidaire that had been in the garage. They didn't specify it, so I, I yes, always... Yes, for make, a refrigerator, not that, that refrigerator. That one, pictures yeah. and a serial number. So that's oh important boy. to know is that if I'm going to ask for something, I'm very clear and specific about yeah. what it is. And if I really want to keep it, then I remove it before I put the home on the market. You know, that's funny that that's one of your nightmare stories. I have the same nightmare <laughs> story. I, I'm sh- and it was not with you, so it's not yeah, the same it was story. Enough. But... Maybe that's really something to watch out for. Yes. I mean, if we both have had that happen, um, yeah. Well, wisdom is when you learn from other people's mistake, and I think we have a lot of wisdom is, is well, watching other what's, people's. What's it called when you don't learn from other people's mistakes but your own? That's experience. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. And another answer to Susan's question is there's two types of property legally. There's real property and personal property. Real property is the land and that which is attached to the land. So that chandelier is attached to the house that's attached to the land. Yeah. Therefore, it's real property. The potted plant outside is in a pot that's just sitting on the ground. That's personal property. The refrigerator is personal property because it's just sitting there in there. Um, now, method of attachment is what gets into a little bit of the gray area. Yeah. I, I can imagine attorneys arguing that. What consists of attachment? Is it plugging it in the wall? Is it hardwired into the wall? Is it hanging on a hook that's attached to the ceiling? I can see that. And that is why everybody should use a realtor to purchase a home because all of that stuff is spelled out. Exactly. Even TV brackets. You oh, know, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a new yeah. one that's come around. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's all spelled out in here. Um, another question we have moving along would be closing in possession. So we close escrow Friday at, we get notice at 2.30. Does that mean the buyer starts moving in right then? <laughs> in theory, the seller is already, prior to that closing, is already to move out and can give possession on the time that they've agreed. And again, they've agreed to do it. And if they if they don't, then it can create a lot of problems one of the pro- it could create a problem for the lender who said I loaned the money for you not to move into not to use that as a rental because on the day after closing was supposed to have happened that seller is now a renter and that can pose all kinds of issues all the way through insurance lending uh, so it needs to be well defined prior to the day of closing that's great it needs to be well defined once again if you're using a realtor and the realtors use a form that's drawn by the uh, California Association of Realtors legal staff in conjunction with a, a, a working group of realtors who provide them the everyday scenarios it's all written in here it yeah. says unless you change it it's 6 p.m. on the day escrow closes but then you can also change it to 2.30 p.m. you can change it to a dip, five days after close of escrow, the key is that it's defined. Though the, one of the issues, and I and I do again, <laughs> I don't have experience in this one yet, is the seller in possession, and it can post all of a sudden the seller had a home they had bought and that fell through. Now where does the seller move? So now the seller says I'm not moving out till I find a house, and yet the buyers already moved out of their house. Mm-hmm. Then that's when that's when you everybody goes and finds a qualified certified California real estate attorney. <laughs> right. That's a, a bad day. That's a bad day. <laughs> and before anybody spends the money on that, I would advise them read the contract cuz it probably tells you what the you're contract, supposed to be doing. Yeah, it spells it out. Yeah. And and that's and that's exactly what happens is and they'll say, "Well, what should we do?" I say, "You have the contract. Have your attorney look at this and explain to you if, if it gets to that point. But let's read the contract together and oftentimes they'll go, "Oh, I agreed to that, and they they do the right thing. Yeah, most of the time. One last question before our break, and that is, wouldn't a buyer be afraid to make an offer because they don't really know everything about the house? Maybe they only spent twenty minutes in there. Well, 
inspections and I think Susan's going to be able to talk about this also because with a great home warranty already in place during the listing time some of those issues can go away and yet the buyer has the right to do all of their inspections and the list is pretty extensive most people stop at just two or three and yet I'm going to strongly encourage people to get a roof inspection a pest Mm -hmm. inspection a general home inspection Mm -hmm. and even a sewer line inspection it's it's surprising how often the sewer lines Absolutely get neglected. Absolutely agree. And I'm shocked by the number of buyers that do none of them. Yeah. And I just do not understand why somebody would not make a decision to have something inspected. That's probably the most expensive thing they're ever going to buy. When they were, if they were to buy a thousand dollar used car, they would at least put the key in the ignition to see if it ran, or take it to their cousin who works on cars or something like that. Um, but they don't do that with homes. I, no. It's flabbergasting. Because at closing, it is as-is condition. So it's it, it, I own this home in the condition that I've inspected, and if I don't do my inspections, then shame uh, on you. Shame on me. Right. Well, I want to thank you for um, giving us that information. We're now going to go to our next commercial break, so stay tuned to thank Welcome you, Home Radio thank you, 940 Susan. ESPN. Oh, back to Welcome Home Radio. Don Scordino, and here in the studio we have Susan Britter of First American Home Warranty, somebody that knows more about homes than almost anybody I know, because you, for years, you have dealt with home warranties, which deals with plumbing, electrical, uh, HVAC systems, and I'm actually very impressed with your knowledge of this. I would almost think you're a general contractor. Oh, my goodness. I've seen a lot yeah. in my years. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. Okay. In the last segment, Dave and I were talking about the inspections yeah. and how important that is so that you know what it is you're buying. But stuff happens. So is that where home warranties come in? Well, absolutely it does. And, you know, just to sort of tag on what we're talking about in inspections, there are a number of different inspections, and buyers should definitely avail themselves of every one that they possibly can. Um, I think sometimes buyers either don't want to spend the money or they have um, an incorrect belief that for some reason if they use a realtor, that a realtor guarantees property conditions, and that's flat out not true. Um, a realtor, they have a disclosure form that they have to fill out a portion of, and a seller fills out a portion of it. But all they are doing is disclosing what they can physically see in accessible areas of the property. And there's a lot you can't see. You can't tell what works or doesn't work by physically looking at things sometimes. So a buyer to go in buying a property without any type of inspections is going in there very blind and they need to be able to take the responsibility in owning that if things aren't exactly what they want them to be afterwards okay fair enough and um what what does a typical home warranty cost so a typical home warranty, um, for instance, we're not talking about including a swimming pool or a kitchen refrigerator. So there's options. Yes, you, there's You def- buy a basic. Yeah, the there's options. a basic coverage, and then there's packages. Our most popular package is is around four hundred and forty dollars. Um, it's probably 98% of all of the business in the Central Valley is this package that includes our basic coverage and two options called air conditioning, which, of course, we, we have to have here, and uh, another one 
called first class upgrade. But there are additional options for kitchen refrigerator, washer, dryer. And the reason why those are options, those three appliances, is because they are not, we were talking about this in the prior segment, they're not fixed you know, they're considered personal property of the seller, and then that would be negotiated to leave and et cetera. But swimming pool, we have a limited roof coverage. We cover well pump, uh, septic system. And so those are different options that buyers can purchase if they would like to. So swimming pool coverage, if the pool starts leaking, mm-hmm. is that covered? So what, what pool coverage would cover under warranty is the actual equipment that runs the pool. So the, the mechanical motors, the pumps, portion the mechanical it. portion, and that's really what home warranties are, is we cover, w- with the exception, the one exception of that limited roof coverage that we have as an option, it's the mechanical components of the home. So the plumbing, the pipes, toilets, water heaters, faucets, uh, electrical, there's the service panel, the wiring in the walls, the outlets, the switches, for example. So shouldn't the seller have known that this was going to break? Wow, is that not a whole can of worms? Okay, so first of all, first <laughs> of all, as Dave would have said, pulling the pin on the grenade. Pulling the pin, yeah, we've got the third pin now. We've got the third grenade out. Okay, so sellers are—they do their own disclosure, and they are supposed to disclose anything and everything that they know about that property, mechanical or not, that could affect the value of the property or the desirability of the buyer to purchase it. Any anything and everything. Now, sometimes they just don't know. They just don't know any better. I know I've I've cited a a statistic from the uh, American Society of Home Inspectors that approximately 50% of what they find on the average home inspection would not have been known by the seller of the property regardless of the length of time they lived there. So 50%? 50%. So for a buyer to rely upon seller disclosure as to uh, knowing the totality of the property condition is just completely incorrect. I mean, it's another reason why they have to have home inspection. Mm-hmm. You know, it, in that I'm surprised by the 50%. But yet I'm not surprised because so many of the things that home inspectors find are in the attic. Mm-hmm. and you know, Or it I, takes a trained eye to see. But to, but to answer your question, uh, buyers should never, ever expect a realtor to know any more about the property than they do. If they do, then they have to disclose it. Um, they are seeing the property for the first time right along with the buyer when they show it to them for the first time. So they don't know any more about the property. And legally, they're not supposed to have to know anymore about the property than the buyer does at that moment. That's why there are inspections the buyer can purchase. Now, at, before you write a insurance policy mm-hmm. or a home warranty mm-hmm. on a home, do you guys do an inspection or do you use the inspection that the buyers used? Good, Very good question. So a home warranty does not require a home inspection. And if there is a home inspection on the property or other inspections, you know, such as a, a, a there's been a well inspector out and there's a well report or a pool inspection, there's a pool report. We don't require to see copies of that. That would really only come into play if the buyer moved into the property the day our contract started and everything has literally fallen apart. And they say, they're, oh, it was absolutely perfect yesterday. And... In the estimation of the contractor, we sent out there just saying there's not a chance this was in working order yesterday before the contract started. And then it's a, it's a great backup, but we don't require it, and we do not physically go out to the property to look at it. And here's a classic example. Uh, I heard a story one time how a uh, buyer was negotiating with a seller to fix the dishwasher. Seller said no, said, here, I'll give you $300 in credit. And you take the dishwasher as yeah. is. 
buyer goes to turn in a claim to the home warranty company the first week of um, of the uh, that, that he's owned it, and um, that had to be a red flag too. You know, first sure. week dishwasher. Well, and, and it yeah, happens. It, you would be surprised, Don, at the percentage of our claims that come in. Home warranties are written in one-year increments. We can, we can do more than one year, by the way, up front. But they're written in one-year increments, and over 50% of our claims come in the first month. Wow. And that one-year warranty from mm-hmm. the close of escrow to the anniversary of the close of that escrow. I guess different operator, different user sometimes breaks things. It's such a variety of reasons. And, I mean, we, as a home warranty industry, try to research this and figure out what's going on. Sometimes it's just bad luck. We all know that we've driven our car someplace, and it's sitting in a parking lot. We put the key in the ignition, and now our car won't start. So we know that something can work one moment and not work the next. There's a lot of that. Uh, different usage, absolutely. They put more usage on a, a dishwasher. They're, they're running it twice a day versus uh, the person prior that went, ran it once every three weeks, for example. Um, people have different tastes in how cold they want a house, how warm they want a house, it, you know, that, that type of thing. And sometimes, unfortunately, there's dishonesty involved in disclosure on a seller's part. They're afraid to disclose because they're afraid they won't be able to sell the property or get as large an offer or there are those people out, thankfully, a very small percentage, but everybody, you know, suffers the consequences of lack of disclosure. And and that honesty thing is really important because there's usually something that's going to tell the truth. The truth usually finds its way. It will so, always rear its ugly head at some point. Right. Absolutely. So this particular buyer who took $300 credit from the seller mm-hmm. in, in return for this bad dishwasher then tried to pass it off on the home warranty company. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they sent a contractor out, and contractor said, no, this thing never has worked for a long time. Because the whole thing is rusted shut. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we see it. We see it where they try to, I I call it double dipping, where they get some benefit over here, where they've, again, been given a cash credit, a lot, you know, an allowance towards replacing that dishwasher, whatever, and they don't do it, but then they try to turn it into the home warranty. Happens all the time. Yeah. So not everything is covered by a home warranty because, once again, like that commercial says, you know a thing or two because you've seen a thing or two. (laughs) (laughs) That's the story of my career in home warranty, that's for sure. Uh, No, first and foremost, we're only going to cover normal wear and tear failures. That's just the day-in, day-out usage of a system or appliance and it breaks down. So if somebody has not maintained something, if they've misused it in some fashion, um put wrong parts in it, um, you know, like a glass stovetop, drop the pan on it, and the glass stovetop shatters. Um, a lot of people will open up an oven door, and they, they use it as though it's a surface to put a big giant, you know, their big turkey roasting pan on with a turkey. It's not meant for that purpose, and eventually those hinges are going gonna to break. So we don't see a lot of that, but it, normal wear and tear is just is what we cover in the home warranty industry as well as what we don't cover would be a lack of capacity of something. So maybe the electrical panel is a 35-year-old, 40-year-old electrical panel built to the needs and the usage of the day, and now we have a family that moves in, and they have got hair dryers, coffee makers, computers, um, phone chargers. You know, I could go on and on and on, televisions in every bedroom, um, et cetera, and all of a sudden their panel 
goes kapowie and they expect the home warranty to take care of that when in fact what happened was the panel isn't out due to normal wear and tear. It might not even be out at all. It just is not large enough to supply the power needs of the, that family in that home. Okay, here, here's the fourth grenade. Mm-hmm. So what is probably the most common breakdown that you see in that first 30 days? Plumbing. Boy, you, you had an answer right away. It's it's a, a huge, uh, probably all totaled, if we look at our uh, literally millions of claims that we get just within our company every year nationally, uh, probably about 33% of those fall into some category of, of plumbing. Uh, we just have uh, multiple sources of issues in a house. We've got toilets, we've got water heaters, we've got faucets, we've got the pipes themselves, incoming water lines, outgoing sewage lines that could have leaks or breaks in them, or you know that those types of things pop up, stoppages. Um, so pl- plumbing, and it's usually one of the first things that we see after a family moves into a home. If they're going to have problems, they're going to have a problem with the plumbing. And I'm even going to take a guess that more often than not, it's when the home was vacant for a few months, Mm -hmm. then a new buyer moves in. Mm -hmm. I'll bet that's when most of the plumbing problems. Oh, I'm just, word of advice to anybody listening out there, thinking of buying a home, if you're buying, well, really any property, but especially an older home with larger trees, et cetera, if it's ever been vacant, and I don't care if it's been two weeks or two years prior to you purchasing it, you really need to have the sewer line scoped, which is putting a camera down the line to see what's going on and I was so glad that Dave before he left mentioned that that's really part of what he does is he suggests that because you don't know what's going underground home inspectors not going to find it unless the seller had prior problems there's nothing for them to disclose realtors have nothing to disclose nobody's going to know until they move into the property and that is the worst time to find out what does that cost to have during an inspection to have the sewer line Uh, right around two hundred fifty dollars could be a little less, could be a little more, just depending upon the plumber. But it's really, I mean, I wouldn't move into a property without knowing that because it's a very large expense if you do have tree roots and a broken pipe outside the home because home warranties do not cover that. Oh, okay. They don't cover that. Does it cover a stoppage, though? Absolutely. We cover stoppages, leaks and breaks inside the house, but nothing related to roots, tree roots, and those are usually the uh, perpetrator of the crime outside of the broken pipe. Okay, next to plumbing, what what's the other big one? Um, Cost-wise would be heating and air. Heating okay. and air is huge because, um, you know, they're not built like they used to be. Um, I mean, I've got 27-year-old units that my maintenance people just say they're going strong. You could probably get 40 years out of that. Uh, there's not a, a single licensed HVAC tech out there that will tell you today that a brand new, new unit is ever going to last 40 years. You're going to be lucky if you get half that. So it's a big cost. It's a big cost to replace those items. So what is your best advice to a buyer out there when they're buying a home? Uh, and, we, and we have less than a minute to go, so you got to get right to it. Okay. A, always, 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 always use a realtor. If you're not using a realtor, you are you are just on that trapeze without a net. You know what I'm saying? Or jumping out of a plane without a parachute. You need to have a realtor. Um, second of all, pay attention, get ins- get inspections, and do everything that you possibly can to protect yourself and the home. I want to thank you very much for coming in and sharing your knowledge with everybody. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to Welcome Home Radio every Saturday morning. Thank you. <laughs>